Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nottingham Playcast. The podcast is about to begin. Please take your seats. Hello and welcome to Nottingham Playcast. It's our first episode of 2020 and we've got a lot in store for you. We're going to be looking at our brand new season, which includes news about Mark Gatiss returning to the Playhouse and also brand new writing that brings a political juggernaut to life. First up though, we're taking a look behind the scenes of rehearsals of Moonlight and Magnolias. It's a riotous comedy that looks at what happens when a producer locks a brand new writer and director into a room and forces them to eat nothing but peanuts and bananas for three days. So I'm joined today by some of the cast and the director of Moonlight and Magnolias. Could you all like, introduce yourself to start off? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Kirsty Patrick-Ward. I'm the director. I'm Joe Alessi and I'm playing David Selznick. And I'm Hayley Doherty and I'm playing Miss Popungle. Fantastic. Actually, let's not forget the O. David O. Selznick. Oh, yes. O. Even though it didn't stand for anything, the O. Yeah, it's the made up. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he made it up because he thought it was more... Well, of course, there was Louis B. Mayer. Yep. Who else was there? There was... Uh, oh, yes... Um, Trying to remember other great producers. <laughs> but he <laughs> went through, he did, and he went through, he yeah. uh, tried lots of dis- different letters, apparently, and the, the O was the one that sounded the best. The so. O worked best, that's good. Yeah. So how are rehearsals going for everyone? <laughs> They're going really well, yeah. It's, um, it's really fast-paced dialogue, wonderfully physical and funny and rich, so we're working very hard. <laughs> and very fast. <laughs> Very fast. It yeah. is really fast. I've really been rehearsing with you guys today. Joe, you have too many words to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Too many words to learn. <laughs> I know. So many How are you keeping them all in your head? I don't know. That's the that's you know, that's the great question, isn't it? How do you learn we just do and I don't know how. I have no idea how. I think I think fear and panic <laughs> is the thing that kind of makes them go in because it's like you know, people are paying hard earned money to buy tickets to watch the show so we have responsibility and I'm getting paid by Nottingham Playhouse to learn my lines and come up with a performance so we're very uh, happy with that so yeah it's a very practical approach yeah, um, like yeah. it's also it's so well written by Ron there's amazing rhythms within it which I think are really helpful and um, yeah it's and that's why we're in that place in rehearsals where Ron and the script are ahead of us and we're like running behind to catch up but once we get match fits we'll all be synchronised and yeah so we're, we're doing the hard graph now so that we can be nimble for performance which is great could you talk us through maybe a little bit about the plot of moonlight magnolias yeah so it all takes place in david oselznik's um office he is a legendary producer and he's just going out on his own he wants to make gone with the wind um but has fall run into some uh production stumbling blocks i won't give away more than that (laughs) too much and yeah he enlists some help in order to write the movie and they're under serious time pressure to do it so yeah it's a lot of hard graft to get the most um one of the most epic movies ever made back on schedule very good. Oh, th- thanks, Joe. <laughs> it's, ba- it's basically my job. <laughs> and tell me about how it is bringing those characters to life as well. Is it Miss? Or Miss Poppingle. Miss Poppingle. Yes. Yes. Tell us about her because she's, she's working alongside Miss Selznick yeah, as well. Yeah, she's David Selznick's long-suffering secretary. <laughs> so whatever he throws at her, she has to pick up and run with. I think over the course of the play, she gets a little bit ragged around the edges, but uh, tries to keep it together. So yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun relationship they've got. And keeps David together as well. Yeah. She's like his PA. And, uh, and they have a great relationship as well where he thinks he's the boss. 
<laughs> she's the one that really keeps him, like, yeah. you know. We uh, saw that even keel. Today. Yes, yeah. of course. That's yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. happening. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I mean about like the way that it's written. It's so even though there's not a huge amount of lines, you just get the relationship. And um, Haley and Joe play it so beautifully. And it's just it's yeah fantastic to see the dynamic between them and and exactly the power play that mm. goes on, <laughs> which uh, some people yeah which um, isn't always obvious to other to the outsiders. But they've got their own secret language. I think mm. yeah. I think it's uh, going back to what you're saying about um, how we managed to get the lines in our head, and it's and it's testament to Ron's writing because um, it comes off the page so easily, you know, that uh, as actors, we have really good kind of radar, if you will. Um, we know when, you know, you know when, you, you know when you're reading an Arthur Miller play, you know, you, it's so easy to learn because there's kind of universal themes and, and he writes the characters so well. And it's similar with Ron, you know, um, uh, that, you know that, that these characters just come to life off the page so easily. Mm-hmm. So in a way, yes, uh, the lines do kind of, bedding quite quickly yeah yeah and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm a big fan of the period as well a huge fan of the period mm-hmm. and those great american comedians that uh, came out of all that so you know like phil silvers and jack benny and uh, jackie gleason um you know that uh, have this fantastic brooklyn jewish quick fire comedy so tell us about the comedy because that's that's front and center in this play isn't it mm-hmm. tell us about how it is bringing that to life and making the pace like work on stage i think the comedy is it's a mixture of yes there's some physical moments but it's also to do massively with their intellect and the way that they use language and also ron has a writer as one of the characters which is very helpful (laughs) in terms of someone who can come in with a very um you know slick one-liner or something that's wonderfully well observed so yeah the comedy is is just so inherent in what Ron has written that you've got to hear, listen out for the rhythm, get the timing right, but also it's about the relationships. If you start playing things for laughs or if the world suddenly becomes... You don't believe in the stakes of it. Mm-hmm. Suddenly it's all gone. So, yeah, it's been a lot of rigour and detail and also me being pedantic about, you no, know, the beat of the door has to be closing like this. So <laughs> I'm sure that must be uh, a nightmare to get notes on. <laughs> and comedy, which is also rooted in reality. Mm. Exactly. You can't just play it for laughs, you know. And also, you know, you've got to cast really good actors, haven't you? you know? Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, the Absolutely. whole thing, you know. <laughs> can't believe I just said that. <laughs> no, it is, but it's funny bones, you know, and it's hearing the laugh and knowing where it is and you kind of... You can, you know, nurture that as a director, but also, you know, there's a huge amount which has to come from the actors. They have to be able to hear that comedy, and that's a real skill. Tell us about some of the mayhem that takes place in this office. We, we shot a trailer last week, Joe, didn't we, for yeah, the we show? Did, yeah, yeah. And you're interacting with peanuts. Peanuts. And bananas. <laughs> bananas. You've got some drinking S- on the go. Drinks, some, some uh, scripts being thrown around, paper being thrown around. Yeah. Uh, banana skins I mean uh, yeah it is quite full on in terms of like crazy props I mean uh, David tells me this is fact he he believed that uh, bananas and peanuts were classed as brain food protein yeah (laughs) so um, he locks he locks the writer and the director in his office with himself and he just feeds them for the next week peanuts and bananas so by the end of it it resembles like a a scene in a zoo, if you will. <laughs> it is. It's a real bomb site of an office by the end of it. They're all on the Selznick diet, which you can lose apparently five pounds in a few days, which is definitely not advisable. But, yeah. No. no. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, there's lots of kind of almost screwball uh, mayhem, you know, screwball comedy. Yeah. Um, 
and slapstick. How is it working on the slapstick for the cast and you as a director? <laughs> it's timing and repetition and finding the beats. We've got um, uh, Kevin McCurdy, our fight director, coming in on Monday, which we're really excited about. So, because there's a lot of literal, the... literal slap, slapstick. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I mean, we've got a scene where we all have to slap each other. Yeah. yeah exactly. So, you know, I'm fascinated to see how he's going to kind of come up with. <laughs> Wait, he's very. <laughs> well, I've worked with Kev before, and I remember, as soon as I, and my first read of this, I was like, "This, we got to get Kev to do the fights on this <laughs> one." So I'm excited to to get him in here. That's great. And are there any um, scenes that you guys are most looking forward to bring to the stage? Because it's not long until we're on the Playhouse stage. Yeah, well, I'm for one. I'm looking forward to seeing those slaps. Um, I haven't. There's a <laughs> section of the play I'm not in, so I haven't even been in rehearsals for it. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see that. <laughs> I can't actually pick a scene out because basically I'm on at the beginning and I get right through, right through to the end. I can't, I'm so confused. I don't know what scene is where. So basically, I'm, in fact, to play David Oselznik in this play, you know, the way Ron has written it, it's an, uh, for an actor, it's an absolute gift. He just hands it to me on a big silver salver. He goes, there you go, have fun with it. And it really is a lot of fun, and, and it's such a privilege. Yeah, you know, I can bitch and moan about, oh my God, I've got too many lies to learn. <laughs> to hell with that, it's fantastic. <laughs> what, a, what an absolute privilege. Um, and so, yeah, it, for me, it's just one massive scene. Yeah, it's like a runaway train, isn't it? Once yeah. it starts, there's, yeah. there's no stopping it. We'll probably let them out for a drink at the interval, but... Um, <laughs> just, just about, yeah. just about yeah. I might have to have some medicinal cognac <laughs> yeah. in, the, uh, in the wings, you know, in the, for, the quick, for the interval. Yeah, yeah, it's medicinal, of course. <laughs> so final question for you guys. Why should people come and see Moonlight and Magnolias? I think the, re the reason I fell in love with the play is I loved the way that it lifted the lid on what happens behind the cameras and also even before they start rolling and I think um, looking at the relationships of you know what a producer does what a writer does what a director does and seeing that all of those huge epic things that are created come from people thinking and writing and talking to each other and debates of that I loved that element of it so I think that's really exciting to, to kind of peek behind the curtain in that way mm, yeah absolutely uh, as well as it being it being very very funny it also touches on some really important themes, you know, which yeah. at the moment are very current. So it touches on themes of racism and anti-Semitism. Uh, the book itself, uh, you know, it's inherent within the book uh, because you're talking about, uh, you know, the old South of America, the Civil War. And so, um, so yes, yeah, so it touches on themes that are very relevant today. You know, it's not just a kind of brainless comedy. It is actually, you know, an important piece that's, uh, I think, very relevant. Do you think I can say relevant anymore? <laughs> but it is relevant. <laughs> it is, um, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, you know, the book is uh, hugely flawed and there are elements of the film as well, but also that's not something we shy, the, that Ron in the writing of it has shied away mm -hmm. from. Some really interesting debates in that, actually. Which, um, and also what it, in the way that it looks at anti-Semitism in, you know, just looking at what happened at Christmas in terms of synagogues um, having graffiti and stuff, again, feels really important. So, yeah, I love there's, there's some fantastic debates within yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the character of Selznick was almost a template, if you will, for, these, for this, the excesses of these people who thought they were like demigods, mm. which eventually led to people like Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. You know, mm. that thought they could just do whatever they want. And we all know what's happening there. So, so it's an interesting... There are fantastic yeah. little kind of mm. uh, yeah, connections. I mean, exactly, and they are flawed, you know. 
No, I don't, and I don't think the writing shies away from that, but that's what makes them fascinating. Mm. In the same way, that that's why Scarlet is fascinating. That's why David is so obsessed with the character of Scarlet in the book, that they are hugely flawed. I think it will be a really, really enjoyable night out at the theatre. And I think if, you've, if you know the film, or if you've ever seen the film, which I just watched for the first time a few weeks ago, then... Um, you'll really love it and but I think it does also stand on its own so if you don't know the film we fill you in on everything you need yeah. to know and yeah it's going to be a really yeah, fun that's show. a very good point if you're a fan of the film you will get all the it's little nice jokes and all the yeah. little in jokes yeah. because you know it's all in there you know so yeah so come see come see yeah. <laughs> that's perfect thank you very much guys thanks for your time It's really great to hear what they're going up to in rehearsals. I've been able to sit in on them myself and they are having so much fun. And it's true what Kirsty says, the script is so packed with detail that it really is running off ahead of them and they're kind of chasing to keep up with it. But once they've really nailed those speeches, it's going to be a really witty, hard-hitting piece. And I can't wait to see it on the stage. It starts with Nottingham Playhouse on the 21st of February. Next up, we have the highlights from our season launch. It was a great event and we were finally able to unveil some really really big projects that we've been working on behind the scenes for months on end and finally people can now buy tickets and look forward to seeing them on the stage. It includes the return of Mark Gatiss with a special message from the man himself but first up we got to catch up with the director of First Touch, a lovely man called Jeff James. It's a really great play for anyone who's been 17 or I guess who thinks they will be 17 in the near future. Um, Or even is 17 right now. Um, I think it's about that moment in your life when you are nearly grown up, but not quite grown up. When you um, are sort of getting some distance from your parents, but you also need a lot of love and support from them. But maybe it's difficult to know exactly how to ask for that love and support. And I think that moment, um, you know, in your life when lots of things are changing and, you know, uh, Clayton's relationship with his girlfriend Serena is really central to the play. You know, I think it's it's so um, interesting, and you know, one can relate to it very easily. I think. Yeah, and we've got a rich history here at the Playhouse of doing sporting plays, whether about football or cricket. Many people in the audience will remember some of them, I'm sure. So, is it a physical production? Is that what you're envisaging? Will we see soccer on stage? Uh, it's definitely a physical production. I think you know what Nathaniel writes so well is the intensity of the experience of playing football. Nathaniel was, was actually uh, a footballer through his youth and nearly turned professional himself, except for an injury. And I think that experience, that intense experience of being on the pitch well, well, that, what, when there are thousands of people watching you um, is conveyed amazingly in the writing, and I hope to convey it as well on stage. And it's obviously analogous to the experience of being an actor and being... Um, on the stage in a theatre. I mean, unfortunately uh, for Adam and I, you know, the stats are that people much prefer watching football than watching theatre. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, what I really hope is that the uh, experience of coming to watch, watch First Touch can be, you know, as exciting and enlivening and thrilling as watching a really good game of football. Clayton, the boy we're following through, has an amazing um, skill at football, and his coach, Lafferty, also. Yeah. So are you, is that, is that mean that you're looking to cast people that not only are brilliant actors, but also actually have sporting ability? Yeah, I mean, there's this, there's this great moment in the play uh, when Clayton, there actually, twice, he uh, tries to perform this trick called the Mag- Magnificent Seven, 
uh, which I don't think we've got a ball, so I can't show it to you now. Um, <laughs> but if we had a ball. But if I had a ball, you would see that it's, the, it's like the left foot, the right foot, the left knee, the right knee, the left shoulder, the right shoulder, and then the head. Just imagine me doing it. It's the, you know, it's the same. Um, and uh, in the play, Clayton tries to do that once and fails to do it. And then the second time, he does succeed in doing it. So, yeah, we've got to find a way of expressing that extraordinary sort of football skill on stage. I mean, I, you know, I guess in you know, lots of plays, one finds a way of expressing things like murders and people coming back from the dead on stage. So I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll find a vibrant theatrical language for it. <laughs> I remember when Nat wrote that bit, he said, I've written in this trick called The Magnificent Seven, but I don't know if we're ever going to be able to find an actor who can do it. Do you think I should take it out? And I said, oh, no, let the director deal with that. <laughs> and that Under the bus. <laughs> yeah. um, so in, if somebody's wavering about whether to buy a ticket or not, Jeff, what, what would, why will audiences enjoy this play? Well, look, I think, you know, reading it and then imagining it in production, you know, one is absolutely rooting for Clayton at this difficult moment in his life when he's about to turn professional. And, you, you know, he's going through a lot of stuff, but you really want things to go well for him. And I think, you know, what else is really exciting about the show is, you know, is the late 1970s setting. You know, I think there's, in Nathan like I say, in Nathaniel's writing, there's a lot of lightness and humour and fun. And I want the production to follow through on that. Um, and I'm really excited in sort of creating a bold and colourful production. You know, I think we should really explore those um, 70s kind of wallpaper and carpets <laughs> and the haircuts, you know. And I think there's a lot of fun to be had, and also in the music, of course. So, first touch is on in June. What I would say is that this isn't just at Nottingham Playhouse, this is in theatre in general around the world. It can be tricky to find audiences for new plays. Audiences tend to go for play titles that they recognise, or particularly playwrights that are famous. And actually, it feels so important that audiences get behind new plays and new writers, because if we don't, how are we ever going to find the next Tom Stoppard, Alan Akebourne, William Shakespeare, whoever, whoever it might be. So I really would encourage you to come along and support it. It's a place set in Nottingham. It's about a Nottingham family, and it's got something for everybody, whether you're into family drama, whether you're into sport, whether you just want to see a place set in your local city, buy a ticket, come and see First Touch. It sounds really exciting. Thanks, Jeff. So I introduced Caroline Bird, who's a, a writer, playwright, a poet. And Caroline has written the first show of our autumn 2020 season, which is called, drumroll, Red Ellen. It's a big play. I was saying to Caroline backstage, um, we're co-producing it with uh, the Northern Stage Theatre in Newcastle, who we co-produced Wonderland with, um, and also the Lyceum Theatre in Edinburgh. And I went out looking for a play to open our autumn season that was big and political and funny and colourful, and uh, Lorne, who's the artistic director in Newcastle, sent me this play, and I read it overnight and just went, that's the play, that's the play that I'm looking for. Do you want to tell us, who's Red Ellen? <laughs> okay, so Red Ellen is Ellen Wilkinson, and if you're going to be boring, you'd say, well, she was, most of her life she was a backbencher uh, for the Labour government um, in the 1930s and 40s, but she, was, she did so much. So this play spans the last 15 years of her life. Uh, in 1933, she was publishing anti-fascist literature, precisely at the moment when no one in government wanted to listen to uh, the, the threat of fascism. Uh, she organised something called the Counter Trial to try and prove that um, the, the Nazis burnt the right star down themselves. Uh, she most famously led the Jarrow March. She was the MP for, uh, for Jarrow uh, out of Newcastle. Um, and uh, she uh, led 300 men walking 300 miles in all weathers to Parliament to demand 
work um, in their constituency, which had 80% unemployment. She was also four for eight. She had bright red hair. Her feet didn't touch the floor in Parliament. Uh, she, used, she was always falling over because she um, used to run with a, with a stack of files that was bigger than her. And she was... She, I mean, the, the, she was always running, basically, and she had um, she drove an Austin Seven. Um, uh, she used to joke that she that she had to drive an Austin Seven because any bigger car, uh, she would it would appear driverless because of how small she was, um, and she was constantly crashing into ditches and things like that. But 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 this kind of manic speed that she had had was an amazing um, metaphor, really, for for how she was trying to fight for so many things at once. You know, so at the same time as the Jarrow March, she was also campaigning to try and send arms to Spain um, to, for the Spanish Civil War. She was then in sole charge of air raid shelters um, during the Second World War, um, colliding with a lorry during a blackout, fractured her skull, and then went into Parliament the next day uh, to carry on working. And then she was the second-ever female minister in 1945, uh, Minister for Education. And then she tragically died by taking an overdose of her own asthma medication two years later in 1947. <laughs> she was just uh, incredible. <laughs> and so human and so flawed and you asked me one question and I think I started this like 15 minutes ago so I'm going to stop now <laughs> but it's brilliant what you've managed to communicate is just how amazing that character is and why there should be a play written about her and and how theatrical that play should be I mean, so it's an amazing character role I'm very conscious have we started to cast it yet do you know we're gonna to have to find an amazing actress of the right height <laughs> yes. yeah. who can pull it off because actually the, the passion that you are conveying as you talk about is what's on the page, and you're going to need an actor who can convey that. So yes. it's a bit of a challenge. It's, because it's massive, and she literally runs through, from scene to scene. She's in every scene in the play. It's got some of my favourite stage directions, which say that she runs and falls down in between. She runs from scene to scene, doesn't she? That's yeah. what it says in the stage directions on the page. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you so much for coming. That's the first play of our autumn season. I think you'll agree the passion that Caroline is conveying. <laughs> Give her a clap. Amazing. Let's go there. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Bill Buckhurst. Good evening. So some of you will recognize Bill Buckhurst. He directed the amazing production of Sweet Charity and uh, more recently Assassins, which was just stunning. So um, this is because we've got a bit of an announcement about next year's pantomime, which is Beauty and the Beast. So it's exciting news. Kenneth Allen Taylor, who many of you will know, who has written and directed our pantomime for many years, will again be writing Beauty and the Beast, but he won't be directing this year. This year, Bill Buckhurst is going to be directing Beauty and the Beast. Um, he's going to be joined by our favourite dame, John Elkington, who many of you will know we love John Elkington. He's the best dame in the land. I see a lot of pantos, and I really believe that. So, so John's going to be joining us again, uh, but Bill's going to be directing. So Bill, taking on the mantle from Kenneth Allen Taylor, who's been directing it for many years. Is there pressure there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. I mean, these are the biggest shoes to fill, I think, for anybody coming into this, this job. Kenneth is, I mean, I, I say the word legend. Uh, he really is uh, a, a pantomime legend and um, an amazing man, amazing knowledge of information of, of, uh, of pantomime. And he's created these extraordinary shows over many years. And I'm so sort of honoured to be stepping into his shoes and thrilled that he's going to be writing uh, the pantomime this year. Yeah. Um, which is really brilliant news. And as you say, John Elkington, I mean, he is the best 
pantomime dame I have ever seen. I see a lot of pantos. I've got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And this year, sitting just back there in the stalls, um, watching the show, I mean, he has them in the palm of his, of his hand. Um, whatever age you are, whether you are four or 44 or 94, he has this incredible ability to sort of bring warmth onto the stage. And of course, he's exceptionally funny which always helps but um i'm beyond thrilled that he's going to be coming back yeah good and and for those who know and love the playhouse pantomime should they be expecting something radically different now you're directing next year's absolutely not i am going to obviously bring some of my vision in the way that i tell a story but essentially this is going to be the same playhouse pantomime that everyone has, has known and loved for many years and uh, I don't want to mess with that. Um, I just want people to come and have a really brilliant time like they do every year. Just briefly, you've got quite a busy summer, haven't you? Do you want to tell us what you're doing over the summer before you start rehearsals for the pantomime? Well, uh, I, yes, I'm going to be directing a production of Sister Act, the musical. And uh, it's a new production uh, of the musical based on the film, which some of you may know. The roles of Dolores, um, who's like the main character and is being played by Whoopi Goldberg, and Mother Superior by uh, Jennifer Saunders. So quite, quite an exciting, quite, a, quite an exciting <laughs> cast, yeah. And I know you and I had a conversation recently and you said you had to fly over to New York to meet Whoopi to get to, for her to agree, didn't you, to yeah, your I've employment? Yeah, I've never more nervous in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, she was absolutely delightful, as you can imagine she would be from uh, seeing on, on TV uh, and on, on film. And um, the thing, I don't know if any... You know the musical, but the, the character she played in the film is Dolores, who is, hides away in a convent. She's from, she, she witnesses a murder committed by her, her um, partner, a fellow who's a, you know, a gangster in, um, well, in, in the show in uh, Philadelphia. So she's hidden away by the police in the most unlikely place to find this nightclub singer, and that is a convent. There's a great premise. And uh, uh, Whoopi Goldberg played that role originally. And then when the musical was, was written by Alan Menken, um, wrote the music of Beauty and the Beast, Disney fame. She, um, obviously, the, the role was for a, for a younger actor. Whoopi Goldberg wasn't, wasn't involved. But this time around, she said, I, you know, I, I really want to play that, that role, which is very exciting. And so, um, yeah, so she's going to be coming in to play it. But up to that point, um, Brenda Edwards, who's a brilliant actor and singer, uh, will be playing, playing the role until we get to. It's amazing. I mean, what an exciting summer for you. That's going to be amazing. And, and I just think, you know, our audience has loved your production of Sweet Charity here. They loved Assassins. Uh, I just feel very um, honoured and privileged that after doing Sister Act, you'll come and uh, take the helm of Beauty and the Beast, and I'm sure it's going to be Well, the honour is all mine. You know, I love working here. I love, obviously, the audience here are magnificent. And I, I really can't wait for, for, to come back. Thanks, Bill. So I've jumped forward to February 2021. I mean, who knows where we're going to be by 2021, <laughs> but that's how far ahead we plan in theatre. <laughs> so um, our show in February 2021 is called Choir Boy. It's a play by Terrell Alvin McCraney. Terrell is the Oscar-winning playwright who wrote the movie Moonlight that many people will have seen a couple of years ago. And this is the UK regional premiere of that play. It's set in a preparatory school in America for Afro-Americans. And it's about a teenager called Farris, who's this kind of outspoken, determined teenage boy. And the school is famous for the gospel choir that it's had for many hundreds of years. Um, and Farris, it's his year to be the choir leader. And he's determined to make it the best the choir's ever been. But that 
tends to mean putting people's noses out of joint when you want to make changes. He also, uh, Farris is a, a scholarship student, so he gets bullied by the other boys. He has to stand up for himself, so there's a, a sort of theme of class. I came across the play because um, when we were doing uh, The Madness of George III and it was being screened by NT Live in cinemas, they invited me over to New York to um, do a Q&A. It was tough, I sort of thought. <laughs> oh, I might as well go. And while I was over there, I saw lots of shows, and I saw Choir Boy on Broadway, and it was a sold-out smash hit run last year. It was the big hit of the Broadway season, and I was determined to get it for Nottingham Playhouse. So I, uh, I went after the rights aggressively, it's probably fair to say, and we managed to bag the rights, which is just so exciting. That's why we're announcing, we don't always announce our shows quite so far in advance, but we've, because we managed to get the rights, we were like, let's get that on sale and let's get tickets selling. So it's a kind of coming, age, coming of age drama. It is uplifting, but it is hard hitting at the same time. It's very, very funny. Uh, Terrell, anyone who saw Moonlight knows that he's got a, a comic bite to his writing as well. And it has a soaring gospel soar, sc score. Sorry, um, It's been directed by an African-American called Nancy Medina. She had a massive hit recently with um, a play called Two Trains Running that went on tour. And she couldn't be here today. She's in rehearsals for something else. But she sent us a short video just to say hello. Hi, my name is Nancy Medina, and I will be directing Terrell Alvin McCraney's Choir Boy for Nottingham Playhouse in spring 2021. I am so excited to be working on this piece of theatre. It is full of dramatic musical pieces, tender and touching performances, and humour. It will be great to work in Nottingham, and I cannot wait to see how audiences react to it. So we'll have more uh, news on casting as the, as the months roll on, um, but we wanted to get it on sale and announce it as soon as possible. It's by an Oscar winner, so it's going to sell really well. So I'd say get your tickets soon. I have one more announcement to make. So I'm jumping back. This is uh, our middle slot of the autumn season. So uh, this opens on the 30th uh, of October and plays through November. I've been looking for an opportunity to collaborate with this actor for a, a while. And I realized that this was one of his most favorite novels. Um, and I thought it might lure him back to Nottingham, and it worked. He's been here once before. He went down very well. It became our highest-selling drama in the Nottingham Playhouse history. And this com combines this amazing actor, a great author, and an amazing novel. The show is called A Christmas Carol, and we are calling it A Christmas Carol a ghost story. So it's written and starring Mark Gatiss, who obviously did The Madness of George III for us, which was a massive hit. Mark, as you probably know, is obsessed with horror and ghost stories. That's probably why it's his favorite novel. Um, but what he's always wanted to do with it is return it back to a ghost story. He thinks Christmas Carol has been taken on and become a Christmas staple. And actually, Dickens didn't really intend it to be a massive part of Christmas. He intended it to be a ghost story, uh, which is why we're performing it uh, just around Halloween and into November. He, he sent a video. He's wearing a top hat. I don't know why he's wearing a top hat. It's just a video he sent me. He said he had it to hand. Um, so let, let's, let's play this video message from Mark. Hello, I'm Mark Gatiss, and I can't wait to return to Nottingham Playhouse this autumn to write and star in my new version of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It's been absolutely my favourite story since I was, well, tiny. An astonishingly powerful tale of life, love, loss and redemption that remains supremely relevant. But at its heart, it's a ghost story, and that will be at the core of my new version. A scary, thrilling, joyous adventure 
to set the blood piping on a freezing winter's night. A Victorian phantasmagoria. Look forward to seeing you soon. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if he was going to have something underneath that hat when he took it over. <laughs> um, he, he sent his huge apologies that he couldn't be here tonight. He really wanted to be. He's, what he's actually doing is he spent 12 hours today recording the audiobook version of Dracula. That's what he's doing. And many of you would have seen he did an adaptation for the BBC over Christmas. He's not actually going to start as Scrooge. He's always wanted to play Jacob Marley, or the ghost of Jacob Marley, which does mean that in future months to come, we'll have quite a big announcement about who will be playing the character of Scrooge as well. But you're gonna have to wait for that. We're not, <laughs> we're not revealing that tonight. After the show starts with us, uh, it plays until late November, because then we move on to the pantomime, on to Beauty and the Beast. But the show then transfers down to London, and we're actually gonna perform it in the Alexandra Palace Theatre. So in Ali Pali, there's this old um, music hall that wasn't uh, opened up for 80 years. Um, and then just about eight years ago, they started to restore it, but they've restored it incredibly sensitively. So it's still got this amazing ghostly atmospheric vibe to it. And many of the greatest music hall stars uh, performed on there. Mark fell in love with it, so did I. So we're sort of getting, uh, we're gonna premiere it here. You guys will get to see it first. Uh, and then the London audiences get to experience it for six and a half weeks over the Christmas period. So it's a, it's a big deal for Nottingham Playhouse, and it's really cool that we get to um, premiere it here. Because it's a ghost story, there's going to be illusions. Um, so what we're drawing upon is old Victorian theatre, where they used to have um, certain set uh, illusions and ghostly appearances. So the vibe of the production is going to be that. I can't wait to see this. It's going to be so fantastic, I know. Yeah. Um, I've just been actually watching the Dracula. Terrifying and brilliant. Yes. But also another story which is, you know, um, is adapted a lot, but, you know, everybody, especially someone like Mark, bringing his vision to it is going to be so thrilling. Yeah, I mean, he has an encyclopedic knowledge of horror and ghost stories, Mark does. So he's the perfect person. So George III sold out, which means you have to get your tickets really quickly because we're expecting this one to sell out as well. So that's our uh, middle uh, show of the autumn 2020 season. I'm wrapping up. That's it. That's all the announcements we've got. Priority booking. So Playhouse Pass members, uh, booking is now open for Playhouse Pass members. That's 25% off or Nottingham Playhouse Productions. From Monday the 17th of February, tickets go on general sale and that's when the 25% off shifts to 15%. So that's a, an incentive to book sooner rather than later. Um, you'll also get the best choice of uh, seats. General booking opens at 10 a.m. on Monday the 17th. Don't forget Moonlight and Magnolias. It's on in two and a half weeks. If the actors and director are here, they need to go and rehearse <laughs> hurriedly. Um, it's going to be really cool. That starts on Friday the 21st of February. So if you haven't already got your tickets for that, uh, please do book. Thank you so much for coming out this evening. We appreciate your support and we hope to see you at a production very, very soon. And that's that. Autumn 2020 is set to be incredibly exciting and we cannot wait to have all of those names and faces return to the Playhouse when the plays finally make their way to the stage. Now, if you are a Playhouse Pass member, you can sign up early and get your tickets before everyone else does. Simply head to our website for a few more details or if not, general booking opens on Monday the 17th of February. And don't forget, you should also sign up to Nottingham Playcast to get all of these updates as soon as possible and hear the news before anyone else does.